call that we had was actually to the Tanzanian border with Kenya, not far from the border. And there was a family who'd been out at a party. They were driving home late at night with their whole SUV packed with a family of seven people. And it's pitch black, right? There's not a lot of street lighting in East Africa. These guys are flying down the road. And there is a tractor on the road without any lights. And these guys at 100 kilometers an hour fly into the back of this tractor. And the car basically implodes, right? And after the accident, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's smoke coming out of the car. The adults are banged up. The kids are a little bit better in the back seat. But there's one kid, a baby, who unfortunately the mother had been holding in her arms in the passenger seat who had flung headfirst into the windshield and cracked the windshield and was laying unconscious on top of the dashboard. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Mark David Monk, the executive director of the Carlin Foundation and the author of Urgent Calls from Distant Places. And you're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast. From PHI Media, I'm Gordon Thane. And this is Urgent Calls from Distant Places, episode 210, untold stories about practicing emergency medicine in East Africa. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. This is the final episode in this three-part mini-series where we continue the conversation with Dr. Mark David Monk, author of the new book, Urgent Calls from Distant Places, which explores 22 memorable stories that he captured about his life experience as a flying doctor. We were lucky enough to get an exclusive access to first-hand accounts of emergency medical evacuations in the region in the strangest places against the clock. I want to hear a bit more examples and stories about some of these evacuation missions. And specifically, I want to hear about stuff related to what we're talking about. So some of the healthcare structures. So it might be in a certain rural or remote region of Africa where, you know, they don't have access to a big hospital or hospitals with certain equipment that will be important to diagnose a specific condition. And I know in many of the examples that you were sharing, oftentimes like you were dealing with a lot of different factors outside healthcare. So security guards, people who transported people asking for money and like to go to the next stage in order and so many barriers to even see the patient to begin with. Can you explain a bit about that? How is that all interrelated? Yeah, so, so the way that Flying Doctors was set up is that they uh, have, outside of Nairobi, a small airport, a regional airport called Wilson Airport, and they have a fleet of aircraft there. There's uh, a couple bush planes, there was a jet for longer distances, and there was a turboprop beach craft that we used for larger airports with dirt strips, for example, but not necessarily, you know, strips cut into the, into the forest. And uh, there was a high-frequency radio network that was set up across Africa, Every hospital had a high-frequency transmitter. Now with the phones, I mean, I don't think people use the radio quite as much as they did. But at 24 hours a day, you could call flying doctors and say, I have an emergency here. Can you help transport this patient out? So the vast majority of the work that we did was flying to small towns within Kenya, small hospitals within Kenya, neighboring countries such as Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea, Tanzania, Uganda, and typically go to these regional hospitals where patients had been admitted for one reason or another who were too sick to be at those hospitals 
and we would fly them into Nairobi. And oftentimes these transports would be three, four hours, right? The book is really a collection of 22 of these stories and everyone is a little bit different. And I think some of them are just kind of weird. You find yourself in these unusual predicaments and you learn a lot and they're fascinating and the medicine is fascinating as well. And so we would typically get a call. We would fly once or twice a day. I was on call for 30 days straight when I was there. Uh, and we would be dispatched to some small town and the pilots would get us in. Unbelievable pilots, by the way. And these guys, you know, these guys are bush pilots to the extreme. I mean, just fabulous, fabulous guys. And the nurse and I would show up. We would take a rattle trap ambulance typically to the hospital. We would find and stabilize these patients and then bring them back to Nairobi. In Africa a continent of vast landscapes and diverse cultures, something unexpected is happening. As countries in East Africa experience increasing economic development, their health demographics are rapidly shifting. Diseases once associated with poverty, including infectious diseases like malaria, are being replaced by new health challenges. The best way to think of them is Diseases of affluence, requiring more robust specialized medical services to address these illness and injuries where time is of the essence. What we started to notice was a couple of interesting things in Africa. There was a significant shift in the demographics of illness in Africa at the time we were there. And so if you go back 50 years, there's been malaria, there have been infectious diseases, there have been all the usual kinds of things you would imagine have been in Africa for 50 years, right? Dengue and, and malaria, foodborne illnesses and diarrheal illnesses and schistosomiasis and viral, all those kinds of things. The truth about those kinds of conditions is you can get pretty sick, but they are not like rip-roaringly time-sensitive, meaning you can catch schistosomiasis and it's really awful and you have to be treated with anti-parasitic medications and similarly with malaria. You know, people are sick with malaria all the time. And it's true, there are a handful of people who get rip-roaringly sick with malaria and die within hours, but most people have this kind of indolent course and have to get anti-malarial treatments. But it's not measured in hours and minutes, right? And what's happened in Africa in particular, East Africa in particular, Kenya in particular, is that as the countries became more and more affluent, the demographics started to change, right? The incidence of certain types of illness started to change. So what you started to see more were diseases of affluence, such as myocardial infarctions, diabetic emergencies. You saw a lot more trauma because the roads were better, the cars were better, people were driving faster. There was no real public health safety net in place for things like seatbelts and road traffic safety. And, and, you know, as you guys know, I mean, myocardial infarctions and strokes and car accidents are highly time sensitive illnesses that really required air ambulances and that kind of infrastructure to be put in place. And so we saw that a lot, that the demands on the air medical system grew every year, greater and greater and also required the Kenyan authorities to start putting in place far better infrastructure for those types of time-sensitive illnesses. The kicker being, those are very expensive things to treat, right? I mean, you should be so lucky as to treat a case of malaria. Usually it's a couple tablets, pennies on the dollar. This stuff, you know, treating a myocardial infarction with a stent is not a pennies on the dollar kind of a thing. So this is adding to the cost burden and to the complexity of healthcare. In his book, Dr. Monk reflects on 22 stories about his emergency medical missions across East Africa, and share some of those heart-pounding stories that keep you on the edge of your seat. The standout story involved a car crash rescue where literally every second counted, and where clear heads need to prevail when delivering life-saving medical interventions. Correct me if I'm wrong, one of the first missions you flew, 
and I think it involved a car crash and a small kid. And while I was reading this in the book, my heart was racing. Just reading it, it was very intense. And I couldn't imagine what was going through your mind while seeing, kind of hearing about this story, flying in, seeing a body lay lifelessly there in an emergency state and kind of interactions, quick second decisions, split second decisions, certain materials are not working here. Like, can you talk a bit about how you felt during these situations and a bit more detail on what was the situation there? Yeah, for the benefit of your audiences, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about the story. And the punchline is you are just filled with adrenaline and trying to make order. And these are unforgettable experiences, which is why I kind of wrote the story. This was actually one of the first trips, you're exactly right. And the call that we had was actually to the Tanzanian border with Kenya, not far from the border. And there was a family who'd been out at a party. They were driving home late at night with their whole SUV packed with a family of seven people. And it's pitch black, right? There's not a lot of street lighting in East Africa. These guys are flying down the road. And there is a tractor on the road without any lights. And these guys at 100 kilometers an hour fly into the back of this tractor and the car basically implodes, right? And there is, after the accident, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's smoke coming out of the car. The adults are banged up. The kids are a little bit better in the back seat. But there's one kid, a baby, who unfortunately the mother had been holding in her arms in the passenger seat who had flung headfirst into the windshield and cracked the windshield and was laying unconscious on top of the dashboard. And so we couldn't fly till morning. And when we could fly, we dispatched two aircraft, two nurses in one, a nurse and a doctor in the other. And the pilots did this unbelievable landing on an airstrip that wasn't really an airstrip. It was a patch of grass with animals running around. And when we landed and we opened the door and we got out, we realized that there was a small, very, very rudimentary clinic that had seen these patients and was really unable to do much of anything. And so they basically stuck them in the back of an ambulance and sent them to the airstrip. When we got there, we knew that we had seven patients. We quickly triaged them. Most of them were banged up and needed pretty good first aid, and the two nurses on the other aircraft did that. But my nurse and I had this really, really sick toddler who desperately needed to be put on a ventilator to protect his breathing. And I don't know if I want to ruin the punchline because there's a real punchline to this, but all I can say was that this was a case that nearly came off the rails fatally. It's a it's a good news story in the end. I think the child does okay, but it's it makes you really tighten up when you read the story. And I certainly felt tightened up at the time. As one would expect, practicing emergency medicine across borders in Africa comes with a variety of challenges that need to be carefully navigated. Everything from journalistic freedom, political dynamics, religious beliefs, cultural influences and even saying no to bribes. It's just a marvel how all these things come together to shape healthcare delivery in diverse communities. There's countless other stories, and one of the themes that I was getting just reading it was the context is so different in all of these different countries, and you're talking about different things such as journalistic freedom, the politics, how they intertwine, religious factors, cultural factors, the historical implications of creating safe spaces for different patient populations. Overall, like when you reflect on these different stories that you put out there in the story, in your book, what is kind of your overall thoughts about how all those things intersect as it relates to being an emergency medical doctor? How does that all fit together? How important are those things to consider? And even the importance of 
not just making judgments at a snap, being able to consider all these different things. You know, we ran into so many different types of people, right? From the highly bureaucratic Ethiopians who bogged us down on paperwork, to the folks in Congo who would have bribed us nonstop had the Bishop of Goma not showed up and made order on the runway. One of the nice things about being a doctor is that caring for others is a universal language. And I really distinctly had that feeling. We were caring for another little boy who had been badly injured, hit by a car. And we ended up transporting him and his two parents, who were very, very simple people from a very rural area. They had barely been in a car. They had never been in an aircraft before. We didn't speak the same language. In fact, none of us spoke the same language. They, sm they spoke a small regional dialect. Even our nurse who didn't speak that, that local dialect, right? So we communicated through hand signals. But... There was a universal acknowledgement that we were there to try to save the life of her little boy. She trusted me, right? That was, I think, one of the most touching aspects of this was that this was the most precious thing in her life, this little boy. And she handed him over and just sort of expected that I would do the right thing. And I think those kinds of moments really affirm the importance of the work that we do as doctors. It's a universal language. It, it translates universally, even if you can't speak the language. And I thought for the first time since I'd really left medical school, this was a pure play application of the principles that I had learned as a medical student that had in the interim become corrupt through working in big business emergency rooms and private equity-backed groups. This was just a pure play, right? I had the skills to save this little boy's life. The mother trusted me. She knew what this was about. It was a very, very affirming moment. As we continue to explore Dr. Monk's experiences, a broader picture emerges, culminating in a complex web that shapes the intersection of public health and emergency medicine in Africa. What would you do if trying to save a life meant that you could jeopardize tens or even hundreds more people? Would you do it? Would you stop to think twice? There was, however, you know, interestingly, and you guys are public health guys, so you'll sort of appreciate this, but there, there was an, kind of an inherent tension between providing one-on-one -on -one clinical service and it factoring in public health. I'll give you one, one example. There's a chapter in the book called Fever. You guys may have read this. So we get called to Ethiopia for um, a, f a fellow who's really sick with an infectious disease. He's a tourist. And when we take a look at the guy, he comes out of the local hospital with a stack of papers. And as we look at the papers, we realize that like every one of his organ systems is not working anymore. The kidneys are shut down. The liver's not working correctly. The blood's not clotting properly. The guy's bleeding from all over the place, like sick as a dog, right? And as we're beginning to treat the guy, I looked over at my nurse and I said, you know, is it possible that this guy actually has a hemorrhagic virus, like Ebola? Because, of course, it, I mean, that's where it occurs. It's, it, it kind of pops up in Africa. And it's, as you guys probably know, highly infectious, right? I mean, these, you pick it up and it's almost universally lethal. And it's not an abstract concern because just uh, a few months earlier, maybe a few years earlier, there had been a case in South Africa of an aeromedical service that had gone to find a woman who was sick in the hospital and bring her back. And uh, she had a new um, hemorrhagic virus, highly infectious hemorrhagic virus, that they actually imported and infected a bunch of people at the hospital that she was transported. So the paramedics died and the nurses died, and uh, it, was a, it was a calamity. And so here we were on the runway. We had this super sick patient who was bleeding. There was a decent possibility that he had an infectious um, viral hemorrhagic fever. You know, if we didn't treat the guy, he was going to die. But if we did put him in the aircraft and transported him to Nairobi, I would have just taken a case of Ebola and brought it into one of the most populated cities in Africa uh, and kicked off a mess. 
What struck me at the time, having studied both public health and medicine, was that there was nothing in the Hippocratic Oath that ever prepared me to sacrifice an individual patient for the greater good. That's a public health concept. Not sacrificing patients, but like optimizing the greater good in public health is really the narrative, right? But as a doctor, this is one of the inherent conflicts was that I couldn't abandon this guy, right? I mean, it would be a violation of the Hippocratic Oath to dump him back in the hospital he came from to die. But similarly, I was making a calculated guess that I would be infecting potentially thousands of people in this populated city. So I struggled with the right answer. Um, all these questions of morality and ethics were going through my head. Ultimately, my nurse, who was deeply experienced, helped me make the call, primarily because he had lived in a system with a fundamentally different risk-reward profile than the one I was used to. I mean, he said, yeah, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, working in the ER in Nairobi, you see patients coming in with hemorrhagic infections all the time. They're not Ebola, they're something else, but like that, those are more common. And it turned out, um, I'll ruin the punchline on this one. The punchline is it was not Ebola, it was something else, and we didn't infect all of Nairobi, but it that one made us sweat also. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know, I know. All good things come to an end. And unfortunately, we're at that point. This episode only left you with a taste of a few remarkable stories of this flying doctor and his incredible team who transcend boundaries to save lives across East Africa's challenging terrain. Luckily for us, Many more stories are chronicled in Dr. Monk's new book, Urgent Calls from Distant Places. We finish up the conversation with Dr. Monk, where he shares some words about the book and why you might want to give it a read. I think easy reading. Um, there's a little bit about my background and what we talked about today. In that sense, it's slightly memoirish, but really it's more along the lines of 22 really interesting cases like the ones I've described in weird situations that you, you happen to find yourself in this pickle sometimes. And so that's what it is. I think it's a fairly easy read. It'll be available broadly on the 30th of January, and it's available on you know Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble and all the big booksellers, uh, Kindle. And there's also an audiobook available, uh, although the caveat there is it's uh, self-narrated, so uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure you like the narrator before you commit to seven hours of this, but uh, that's available too. This show was edited by me, Gordon Thane, with additional editing from LaShawn Benedict. Sound design and mixing by myself and LaShawn Benedict. The original music from The Music Room, composed by Tom Fox, licensed from Johnny Harris. The cover art design for our show by LaShawn Benedict. The Public Health Insight Podcast is produced by PHI Media. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.